this is Haley Nauman, and you're listening to the Maybe Baby Podcast. you're here. We have yet another special guest, this time Allison P. Davis. You might know Allison from her incredible work she does at New York Magazine for The Cut. She's written a ton of incredible celebrity profiles. She's just a really sharp and funny uh, cultural commentator. And um, maybe you know her on Twitter, Instagram. She's currently working on a book called Horny, about women's horniness. And so I thought that she'd be the person, the perfect person to bring on today. Because my last newsletter, hopefully you read it since it's kind of relevant to this conversation. Actually, it's fine if you didn't. But anyway, it was number 46, The Greatest Drug in the World, all about anticipation and the sort of collective um, exhale we're all looking forward to doing if and when this pandemic recedes and more people are vaccinated, etc. So we found some really interesting connections to draw between kind of sexual horniness and more like existential horniness, which is another way of saying anticipation. So I wanted to see if like there were things that she was researching in her book that we could extrapolate out to like to kind of more broadly define desire in our lives beyond just the sexual sphere, but we kind of get into both. So I'm going to jump into our conversation um, right after we were talking about Kim and Kanye's divorce because... Um, Allison is working on a piece of writing about it, so naturally, that was our starting point. We also get a little bit into, like, the minutia of writing a book and her process with it, um, which I thought about taking out since it's not relevant to the topic, but I think it's so interesting, and I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast are writers or interested in that process, so I thought I would just leave it in for anyone else who's curious about it. So, without further ado, this is Allison P. Davis on horniness from the sexual kind to the existential kind. And apologies in advance to any family members for talking a little bit about my sex life. <laughs> are you like, are, how do you feel about the divorce? I mean, I think it's- Do you have emotions about it? Weirdly, I do. I think it's like, I think it's sad because I always felt like their love, even though they were like a power couple and like two of the biggest like narcissists on the planet, the fact that they found each other and were like making it work and like had a family, like I, I like believed that their love was true, you know? And yeah. I think it's really sad because like their divorce is just a signal that like Kanye's gone too far off the rails to like, to like for us to maintain him as an important cultural figure or like take him seriously. He just has like so far, he's fallen so far in terms of like his misguided like provocateur role that even his wife doesn't want to be with him anymore and like this is really sad to me um yeah and I have like such a weird soft spot for Kanye even though I know he's awful but like I don't know it's just kind of like oh the end the end of so many eras with this divorce you know yeah absolutely I mean I also feel like the Kardashians are they're going too far, in my opinion, as well. Like, the, or I feel like history is not going to be kind to, like, the direction they're taking right now, which is, like, trademarking their name in, like, every product vertical. Like, yeah. they just want to, like, what do they want to be? Like, Amazon? Like, it's crazy. <laughs> they're just, like, <laughs> I feel like there's, it's almost, like, I feel like they're equally awful, but 
PR, like, but Kanye is, like, more chaotically awful, and they're yeah. more, like, calculatingly awful. Yes, yeah. And then also just, like, the way that they're so calculatingly awful is that, like, they can take Kanye's chaos and, like, use it to their advantage, right? Like, like, yes. like the Kim has really just, like, sort of used it as a launching pad into, like, okay, now I'm going to be in social justice reform, and, like, I'm the dutiful wife that stood by my mentally ill husband, and, like, here's a great four-episode arc for the finale of our show, and, like, I don't know. It's all, I think, just so messy. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. They, like, exploited his... There's, I mean, there's nothing that the Kardashians don't exploit. Yeah. And it, it's a bad taste when it's, like, somebody's mental health and well-being. Absolutely. I always laugh at that tweet that was, like, Chris's middle name is, like, uh, anonymous source or something like that. <laughs> I actually... <laughs> Like, she's fully just feeding every every story to the press. So I was like, an anonymous source says Kim and Kanye are getting divorced and Kim has had enough. And you're like, right. oh, is that you, Chris? That's you, Chris. Hello. <laughs> Chris on the phone with Us Weekly again. <laughs> Always, yeah, just on speed dial. Yeah. Um, okay, so the topic at hand. Yes. It was, I thought it was really timely that you wrote that story about touching, like, right as I was writing my story about anticipation, because I feel like they're linked. Yeah. And I also really, I think, like, you're, you're working on a book about horniness. Yes. Yeah. Which I feel like is a kind of, like, existential, or, well, like, it, it's like the sexual anticipation to, like, existentialist anticipation, anticipation, like, they're almost connected in a way, or, like, horniness is, like, a microcosm of, like, a broader idea about wanting. Yes. Thank you, because that's the whole point of the book. So. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was actually going to okay. ask you to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, of course. I, I can't. It's um, always just like a stress. Well, whatever. I'm sorry. Continue on before I jump into, like, bitching about writing a book. But <laughs> Oh, no, please. I mean, I'm, like, really trying to cobble together a book proposal right now, so I can't even imagine, like, what where you're at with that right now. Oh, oh my God. Godspeed. <laughs> Is it a huge mistake? <laughs> no, I, you know, I, I have to say that I think if it had been any other year, I would have been so stoked to be working on a book, but it was like, it was such a weird year and like, it was a weird year to be writing a book about like sex and it was a weird year to be writing a book oh my God. in general and like having to be expected to like produce anything this year was impossible. So I, I just, I'm really behind because I, at a certain point I was like, it's a fucking pandemic. Like, this is an unprecedented world situation. And, like, the fact that I can, like, get out of bed half the time is enough, you know? So, but this oh my summer God. is going to be great. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this summer. <laughs> Dude, this summer, maybe this summer will serve as, like, the ultimate inspiration for your book. Yeah, I hope so, because it's due in October, so. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so you don't have to, like, turn in chunks at certain times? You just had to do, like, the whole thing in October? So there was a, a chunk plan, but then I got like overwhelmed and I told, this is, this is an insight into how this could go for you. Honestly, I'm curious. Yeah. So, because, so the original book pitch, like what I sold, the proposal and like what I had, the reporting plan, when I, I went on book leave in March, like March 12th was my last day at New York Magazine, which like, LOL, because then three days later we were all in hell. Dude, March 11th was my last day at my job too. Oh, that's so and funny. I was just like. <laughs> yeah, and then just into the depths of whatever hell. So I um 
I wouldn't believe I had this reporting plan where I was like, okay, I'm going to Atlanta with like a, a black and Afro-Latina, like BDSM, uh, like sorority. And like, I had all these amazing plans where I was going to spend six months, like doing all this reporting and then six months writing and then like have a beautiful, like narrative book where I was sort of like in the three women model where I was like following right. women, like through these moments in their life where their sex life was changing. Oh, I love that. I loved it too. <laughs> blown to hell so I had to start I had to just like reimagine what the entire book was gonna be so for me it was like and I turned in like essentially a new proposal in the middle of the whole thing and have been like working from that so the chunk went out the window because I'm just like starting over again um but I'll turn in some pages in June and then I'll turn in the whole thing in October that's the plan okay Oh my god, I'm so sorry. I know, it really blew. And it's like such a, talk about existential, like, crisis. I was like, should I even be writing a book now? Like, I tried to give the money back several times, but I don't even have the money anymore. (laughs) So I paid off all my debt, and I'm like, you you can have my great improved credit score, but like, I don't have a check to write you. (laughs) So anyway, I have to finish it. Um, Just, woof. Oh my god, it's also tough because I feel like there's some levity to the topic of horniness, and it feels like it would be hard. It's just easier to write about this stuff when you're in a good mood. It just seems like it would have been so tough to, like, dig in with a good nature in the last year on this. It was just, everything felt so fraught, you know? Even, like, the sex I was having, which is, like, breaking quarantine sex, and, like, that was so, like fun because illicit but then like two days later I was like great no now I have COVID and I probably gave it to the entire country like that's <laughs> that's what you get for having sex in a pandemic <laughs> like it just wasn't fun you know <laughs> oh my god yeah I mean I actually was gonna ask you about that because I feel like one of the things like maybe less importantly but definitely like relevant to how weird last year was is that there was no anticipation there like was no there was nothing to look forward to. There was no, like, and it's like, I didn't realize what a pillar of life that was, like, what an important part of it was. It's just yeah. like, I mean, we all joke about, like, looking forward to the weekend as being sort of, like, soul-crushing, a soul-crushing way to live. But then without it, you realize that, like, oh, actually, that, like, forward momentum is sort of, like, what thrusts you through your life. Yeah. And without it, it felt really weird. I truly like felt, like, dead. I was, like, it was so, dead. I was, just dead inside. I don't think I ever really fully understood that phrase until, like, I would say my, like, stagnation wall kicked in in, like, November. Because um, the summer was so, like, I feel like the summer we could make plans and it was, like, a little looser and a little freer. And then, like, post-Thanksgiving, it was just, like, no, <laughs> like it got yeah. so bad, you know? Oh, I totally agree. And then I something I wrote in my newsletter this week was that like I felt a shift going into the new year, like in kind of in like the corny way that you almost expect it culturally where everybody's like a fresh start, but I like actually did feel a difference. And I think part of that for me was like that I was looking for a new apartment and just like, you know how it is when you're looking at a new place, you like imagine, even if you like are not going to like go to that place or that, you're like, oh, we'll go there for this and we'll go there for that. And yeah. Just like... It's, like, it's basically an exercise in, like, daydreaming, and it was, like, um, a really important thing to, like, pull me out of basically, like, the depression I've been feeling. I was wondering if you've been feeling, like, have you felt that shift, or, like, is that what 
um, inspired you to write your piece about like starting to anticipate touch? Yeah, it's funny because I've had two, I've had two. Okay, so after the new year, I will say that like I consider my, I'm such a narcissist. I like consider my my birthday the new year because it's like my personal new year, and I. <laughs> so, so Wait, when's your birthday? It's March fourteenth. So like my New Year's, I'm a week Happy into birthday. it. Happy birthday! Thank you. Um, <laughs> so like the and the, you know, the, this year's New Year, I felt I approached it with such like whateverness that like I didn't really make plans. I mean, clearly like no one had any New Year's Eve plans, and like right. I. Um, I ended up just like sitting in a friend's backyard and like I had a bottle of champagne that somebody I had profiled sent me and I was like, I don't even really want to pop this bottle right now because it doesn't feel like anything's going to change in the next like 60 days because like we still have the um, like the inauguration and we still had all this other like stuff right. and like Trump was still in office and I felt like just un- like the universal vibe was like, like we were all just holding our breath and we couldn't accept that there was something like new about to happen. Right. But I I feel like post that, like, truly now, because, like, we've had some warm days and, like, the spring equinox and, like, my birthday, I'm finally feeling the, like, oh, okay, like, I'm ready for new and I feel like the energy's changing and I feel like there's a new vibe. And I think those warm days were what inspired the touch piece because, like, it was the first time that you could remember like what summer was it's like any like any year you know like the the tease of the horny season but it felt (laughs) particularly like significant this year you know oh my god yeah because I mean every spring it it's like it feels like it's been so long since it was last warm yeah but this time it felt like it had been like a whole year and a half or whatever like it was not like we didn't get the like relief of spring last year I mean I remember in the early pandemic being like I swear, if we lose summer, like, <laughs> yeah, dude, <laughs> get used to it. You're yeah. going to probably lose next spring, too. Um, yeah. No, but I've been feeling the same way. Like, I think I didn't realize that I my depression was lifting really until, like, reflecting back. I think this is when my my um, therapist brought up... So I told her that I felt so manic about my apartment search, like, to the point of, like, just feeling kind of crazy. And she was, like, she described something called manic defense, which is, like, a period of, like, even in, like, neurotypical people of, like, a sort of mania, like, following depression where you're, like, you're so, you just, like, throw yourself into something and you, like, are, you're planning and you're just, like, getting, your imagination's going wild and, like, you just feel kind of crazy. And I was, like, that tracks for me. Yeah. (laughs) And I feel like a lot of people are maybe going through that. Like, a lot of people are moving, for one, like, for some reason. I think to, like, distance themselves from, like, their quarantine patch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like staring Wait, are you, at... Did you say you're in a workspace? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it looks like I'm being held hostage in, like, a random warehouse room, but I love the space. <laughs> it's, um, I, because I live in a one-bedroom, but it was a weird sort of situation where, like, it's, it's a big one-bedroom, but it's, like, sort of one big room. It's, like, a walkthrough. So... When I was in bed, I was staring at my desk, and I was at my desk, I was, like, staring at my bed, and I just, like, it just, like, messed with my head too much, so I, there's that thing called the Listings Project, and there was a, which I, I, like, read obsessively, and they, someone put up, like, oh, there's a warehouse space in Gowanus, and, like, there's a studio available, and I came and looked at it, and it's, oh, such a weird little corner of Gowanus, it's, like, overlooking the sanitation department across the street from the Lowe's, but the space is huge and it has this like huge window you can't see and I can keep plants alive. And like, 
I, I live in a basement apartment, so I never get sunlight, really. So, like, this was uh, a huge... That's it gives you some place to go, and, like, I pass people in the hallway, and it's sort of, like, a you know, feels like a like a nice break from just, like, padding around my apartment all the time. <laughs> Dude, that's amazing. I really... So you have a whole space to yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a second desk in here that I use. It's, like, a... Can you see that? Yeah. Yeah, um, kind of. It's all blurry. You're, like, in sharp focus, and the back is, like... It's very artistic. Oh, yeah. I don't know how I changed that setting. Anyway, um, I... <laughs> there's, like, a second desk that sometimes, um, like, people in my pod will come use it if they need to get away from their spouses. But for the most part, it's just me in here, which is lovely. That's amazing. I've dreamed about doing that so many times because I, I don't know if you can tell, but my bed is like right behind me. Oh, yeah. And this desk, it's like the same vibe where I'm like, it's right there. Right. Um, I could just lie down. <laughs> yeah. That's actually part of the reason we're moving because my boyfriend, he was unemployed for some of the pandemic, but he got a new job in quarantine, which is also a weird thing. Like, and they're, they're a company that, like, they don't have their cameras on, so he doesn't, like, know what his coworkers look like. Oh, weird. <laughs> or vice versa, which I think is, like... Such a weird energy, but um, it's a full-time remote job, so, like, we're both full-time remote now, so we got a, um, an apartment with a second bedroom, so we can, like, <laughs> have an office. Yeah. Um, yeah, because yeah, I was either... I, I really thought of doing that. I was either going to move and get, like, a, like a, a bigger apartment, or I was just going to, like, do this, so it worked out in, in rent, you know? Um, Dude, I think that's even better, because now you get to, like, commute. Yeah. Which is something I really miss. I love a commute. Weirdly, I love a commute. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> me too. That. Who knew? Right, but it's the same uh, thing as, like, I, I feel like this was sort of my cheating, my way of, like, cheating around stagnation was, like, I had to build in these, like, little things to look forward to every day. Like, to me, like, okay, I get to get up and, like, take the long walk to the workspace. Like, that's, like, a little thing that, like, feels like movement, you know? Or, like, um once like I started having like pod dinners indoors with like two other friends like just like the idea of like what am I gonna cook on Friday for the two people that I see every Friday but like just those like little things I think helped with the stagnation not a lot but a little bit you know huge though the first time that like we've I think we've been to like our friend's house for dinner once yeah but like the second we walked into someone else's apartment we were like oh <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> And, like, then the other day, we went to a, a bar with a backyard, but you had to, like, walk through the bar <laughs> to get there. And I was, like, in the bar, and I just, I just completely forgot what it felt like to be in a bar. Like, I was just, like, this is, I was freaking out. Like, I was, like, dancing. It was, like, an empty, <laughs> I was just, like, spinning around. And it, like, smelled like beer, and I yes. was just, like, this is amazing. <laughs> oh, my God, uh, I can't wait to be in a bar. I don't even know what I'm going to do with myself, I swear to God. <laughs> Dude, me too. But see, like, I feel like just talking about it is, like, making us giddy, which I feel like is, like, the whole point of, like, anticipation is so important. And, like, yeah. sometimes it's even better than the thing itself. Yeah. Yes. It's so funny you say that. Like, I, I like, miss going to the movies so much. We have all the things in the world that, like, I used to do regularly, like, going to the movie on a Saturday afternoon and, like, by myself and then just, like, getting a drink afterwards by myself and, like, then going on with my night is my, like, it's my favorite thing oh. to do in the world. So when I, on my birthday, I also got um, vaccinated. So, like, I'm, du I'm done. I'm double-dosed. All, <gasps> all good. So I can go to that a movie. That was amazing. I know. See, this is why it's really, like, my personal This news. is huge. <laughs> but I, I still haven't gone to the movies because it's, like, 
that thing that I'm like waiting for and waiting for and waiting for and the anticipation of like what it's going to be like is probably sweeter than like what's actually going to happen when I go, you know? Um, but I feel like I'm delaying the gratification. Yeah, I mean, I cited that study, I feel like that went around for, like, everybody kind of vaguely remembers it, but from 2010, where it was some study that proved that, like, looking forward to a vacation is, like, actually when you get the most happiness out of a vacation, yeah. and not and not the vacation itself, which is, like, it's kind of one of those, like, head fucks, because if you think about that too much, then you won't be excited for the vacation, you know what I mean? Because you'll be like, oh, it's not as good, but it's like, you just need to almost, like, it's like a, it's a rare case where like willful ignorance like is better. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to know that it's not going to be as good because that will take away from my pleasure now. Right. And like, <laughs> it's so pleasurable just to imagine what's coming around the corner, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was talking to my, I think you kind of mentioned this in your newsletter about like, there's some people who feel a lot of reticence to like the summer Am I, not to bring up my therapist twice in one conversation, <laughs> um, but she mentioned that, like, her clients are, like, really bifurcated across this line. Like, half the people are really excited and half them are, like, really afraid to be excited. And I think that there is, like, there's something about, um, like, when optimism feels safe. Yeah. And, like, you know, you don't want to be let down. Um I have my own thoughts on, like, choosing to be optimistic at this point, but, like, have you, do you relate to that at all? Like, do you have any reticence? Yeah, I was actually really surprised. Here, I'll match your therapist mention with my therapist mention. Um, <laughs> so, the day that I got, like, the day that I got my second vaccine dose, and then, like, I went directly to, like, my a birthday dinner with my pod people, and, like, um, everyone was like, how does it feel? How does it feel? And I was like, oh, it's great. It's so cool. Like the world is my oyster in two weeks or whatever. And then on Wednesday, by the time I had therapy, I was like, weirdly just like feeling so low. And my therapist was like, what's like, what's up? We sort of thought like this would like turn around the way that you've been feeling about the, like your pandemic life. And I said, I don't know. Like now I'm just really anxious about like, what I what I'm waiting for like I don't know what I'm like my like, I know what I'm anticipating and like I like in this sort of like yeah I can't wait to be able to do x or see these people or like go to the beach with friends or like whatever it was that I missed so dearly last summer but there's something weird about like like this reintroduction to your life that it's like it's like make it's like a it is a mind fuck and I have some like anxiety about like well will I even like crowds anymore or like I've gained 20 pounds in the pandemic and like, will I go into the, like the world and feel like a revolting ogre? Like, it's just like, I have too much uh, emotional anxiety all of a sudden around what's to come, I guess, which is all like stupid and like very superficial, I think, but like, whatever, that's how my brain's working right now. <laughs> no, that's not superficial at all. I get it. I feel like there's, it's like the other side of the coin is that anticipation also like can put pressure on things and like, yeah. It kind of reminds me of how sometimes there were times, like, remember when, like, the whole, like, introvert conversation was huge and, like, everyone was talking about being, <laughs> being an introvert? Like, I'm yeah. so over. I don't even believe in the, in the binary anymore. So um, dumb. <laughs> Interest, oh, yeah, introversion, extroversion is a construct, okay? <laughs> um, anyway, I think that there was a lot of talk of how people would sometimes get bummed out on, like, sunny days because they would feel a pressure to, like, make the most of it. And 
I do think that there could be, I do relate to that a little bit. Like even this past weekends, I didn't really have any plans because it's not like, I didn't know it was going to be warm and I just feel still feel nervous about seeing people because I'm like, well, maybe I'm going to get vaccinated soon. So like, maybe I just won't, I'll just wait and then yeah. it'll be way better or whatever. But I feel like I've been sort of like, it feels like holding my breath. And then I felt sort of, I felt like FOMO because there are some people who are behaving as if like there's not a pandemic anymore, which is yes. like, is giving me big FOMO and, um, or not like FOMO, like I want to be with them, but just like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I know um, before we could like really shame, like not shame, but before we could look at those people and be like, I'm not doing that because we're in a pandemic. But now that like things are lifting and like some people are vaccinated and feel more comfortable, it is like this weird like um, division of like, I can do it and you can't. And like, I don't know, like things are getting so trippy. <laughs> oh my God, I know. It's really intense, but I do feel like, um, yeah, I feel like it puts some pressure on it. And I think that like, well, this kind of brings me to, like, one of the downsides, I think, of, like, anticipation. So, like, if we think of anticipation as, um, like, a driving force in life in general. Yeah. Sorry, I'm going to put this on D&D. My, my family group chat is going off. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, actually, let me start with, I, I, I put down some things about, like, the upsides and downsides of, like, anticipation in general. Um, I feel like... There's, like, standard, like, life is the journey aphorisms, which is basically, like, it's not about, like, achieving and getting to the thing. It's, like, working towards it and looking forward to it. Or, like, it reminds me of the, um, I couldn't find it, but I know there's a Drake lyric where he says, like, I miss, like, dreaming of the life I have now. Yeah. Which I really think is, um, if you think about, like, the American dream in general, it wasn't really about achieving what the American dream was. It was about dreaming about it. <laughs> you know yes, what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's, like, built into the fat, like, the fabric of our, like, stupid country. It's, like, <laughs> like, it makes sense, like, capitalism rules everything because capitalism is about, like, wanting. Right, and but always I guess striving and... Yeah, which is, like, it's a double-edged sword because obviously it feels good to want something, but, like, also capitalism drives, like, mass dissatisfaction like on a, on a broader existential level right because you like it actually feels bad to only ever want yeah which brings you to like the other side which is like gratitude <laughs> you know i think i wrote last summer about my mom like a like my mom's house is like filled with like little signs that tell you to like be grateful which is like a very specific suburban white mom of like a particular era you know what i'm saying <laughs> I called it gratitude core. Like, it's like a, it's a design aesthetic. Right. <laughs> I know exactly what, I can like see it now. I know exactly what you mean. Live, laugh, love. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there was something about it that like struck me as kind of sad too, because there's, it feels, there's something complacent. It's like something really unsexy about just like being grateful for everything you have, like all the time. There's like, well, what do you fucking want? Like, do you desire anything? It's like, yeah. I don't know, so basically what I'm saying, I'm talking too long, but, like, I feel like it's a complex emotion. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I'm having so much, like, so many thoughts about anticipation and, like, want and, like, partially because that's, like, the, the, like, driving motivation of the book is, like, horniness as want. But then also just, like, I just turned 35, and so I'm thinking about, like, the, the I'm in the second half of a decade, and, like, it is interesting how like I feel like I spent the first half of my 30s like striving 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 and like 
grind, like total grind, whatever. Everyone like loves the grind, you know? Grindcore. Grindcore, rise and grind, baby. And now I feel like I have a choice about how I want to spend like the, the back half of this decade. And like, at first I was really like having a lot of like bummy feelings about turning 35 and like not having XYZ or like I haven't accomplished this and like look at my friends who are like getting married or buying houses or having babies, like this is, like the bullshit that, you know, we're, we are told to want. And I sort of made this decision that like I could either continue to like think about the pursuit of the American dream as this like grind curse and like focus on all the things that I don't have, or I can do sort of what I feel like you, you mentioned at the outset that it's like, yeah, like, like part of achieving your dreams is not so much the the getting of the dreams. It's like the journey. So like, it's fun. It can be fun to like try and get those things, right? Like it can be fun to like continue to like pursue a creative career in a way that I want. It should be fun to pursue a creative career in the way that I want to, to eventually like be able to buy a home or like I want a partner. So like dating doesn't have to be this like grind of like, gotta meet the one, gotta meet the one. It can just be like, fun until you do you know so I'm trying to like yeah recontextualize the idea of like what it means to still have so much that I want you know does that make sense am I making any sense yeah okay cool no it totally (laughs) makes sense it's almost like you're saying like it's almost a recognition of the fact that wanting is an important and like fun part of the process I feel like if you lose sight of that, then all you want is a thing that you want. And like, it feels like failure to not have it rather than yeah. realizing like, actually, that's really fun to want it. And yeah. that like, that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I totally get that. It reminds me of like, I mean, this is like a really literal example, but like buying a lottery ticket. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like literally the whole point is like spend a week, like, arguing with people about everything you're going to do with the money when you win. (laughs) Right. Right. And like never winning, but you had so much fun imagining what would happen if like 25 mil (laughs) dropped in your lap. (laughs) Dude, the energy in the room between people who've all bought lottery tickets talking about what they're going to do is like nothing. You can't, you can't even match it. (laughs) Like that's like true, like lifeblood. I love that. Um, It reminds me of, have you read Esther Perel's? books so I know that I there like a stack of them in my my book research bookshelf um and I've, I've listened to her podcast but go I, I feel like she talks a lot about the importance of like yearning and want and longing right yes oh my god I would I would recommend um I read she might have more than two books but I've read two of her books and the one that I feel like would be really relevant to what you're writing is not the one on cheating which was also interesting but the one on um her mating, her like, uh, her like main one, which is mating in captivity. Yeah. And something I like never forgot that book. Like I feel like it completely changed, like the way I think about sex and love and all that. But one of the like her main points is um, the difference between um, wanting and having. Mm-hmm. So basically, like her idea is that like that there's a huge trope, especially in Mer- in America, that like desire fizzles out in relationships. Um, and she basically, like, set out to figure out why, and she, and she posits that it's basically that, like, our focus on romantic love and the way that we define it in the West, which is, like, this all-consuming, like, I know everything about you, you know everything about me, is actually, like, really suffocating. Yeah. Um, and, like, we tell each other everything, and we do everything together, and all I need is you, (laughs) 
Justin Bieber's recent song, which was like, I was laughing because I was like, sounds like you have an attachment issue when it was like, two minutes away from you is too much. I'm like, that's psycho. That's codependency, Justin. (laughs) Dude, but that's literally like every love song. It's like none of them are about like having your independent lives. I mean, that's not a right thing to write a song about, but... um, I think it is. Someone please write me a love song that's like, we live in separate houses, but baby, when we meet in the middle, it's so much fun. Like, that's a love song to me. Honestly, if any musicians are listening, please. Um, Yeah, so basically she talks about, like, if you think about the reason, like, passion is so um, heightened in the beginning of a relationship, it's because you don't fully have that person. Like, you don't feel, there's maybe not 100% confidence that they like you back, um, or, like, you don't know what's to come, like, you don't know everything they feel, and you won't hope that they feel the same, and, like, that sort of, like, unknowability is what breeds desire, like, want and desire are really linked, and, like, having and loving are really linked, but when, like, closeness is so emphasized, it really puts out the distance that, like, she, she says fire needs air, like, you need to have distance. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, um, that's really funny because that's, um, you cannot, that's that blue, that blue note card says, fire needs really? That's like, yeah, I have that hung as a reminder, mostly because, like, I always suffer, like, writing, I, like, try too hard and I suffocate and I forget to take a walk and, like, let it breathe, but that's, like, my whole life motto, man, fire needs air. Look at Dude, that. <laughs> yes, that's, like, I think about that all the time because, I mean, distance makes the heart grow fonder and stuff, but, like... I think it's true that, like, knowing... I think this is what part, what stopped making me, like, a jealous person. Because I feel like... Um, not that I was ever, like, expressed my jealousy, but inward I would, like, really cringe thinking about, like, my boyfriend's exes and stuff like that. This is, like, years ago before I read the book. And I remember, like, this is one of those rare instances where, like, I read a book and I was, like, completely different. Like, I yeah. was just like, I'm not jealous anymore. And I don't know, it was crazy, but realizing that, like... Oh, it's almost like what you said. It's like you just flip it to being like, oh, I'm like cringed out by my boyfriend wanting to fuck someone else or like fucking someone else to being like, oh, like that's kind of hot. Like his other desires, like now I want him to want me or like there's like, you know? Yeah, just that little recontextualization can make such a huge difference. It's hard though, right? Because we're just wired to be jealous and we're wired to be like, to consider lack of failure but like it doesn't have to be you know maybe we should be writing a self-help book dude i don't know (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm in um do you feel like are you covering like polyamory or anything i know that's like a a big thing people talk about is like that jealousy can like help relationships i don't know this is not something i personally like practice but i'm just curious if you've researched it for your book i am really interested in like non-monogamy and um and open relationships and polyamory and how I do feel like it's become so much, and maybe it's just like the circles I run in. I like that I use OkCupid and Tinder. I'm like, everyone's on there is like open relation, non-monogamous. But I feel like there's a real um, march towards it being much more like normalized. And like, I was reading this book by um, Emily Witt, uh, Future Sex. And she had, she wrote that in like 2002. 12 I guess between the years of 2012 and 2015 and I was reading a chapter about a poly couple and at the time it seemed so like wow it's like these are like burning man people and that's why they're poly there was a certain like otherness to it and now I feel like you know 
I have so many friends that are like in open relationships or like I've been I've like hooked up with people that are in open relationships and it just feels like more out there in the ether and so for me it's sort of wondering like okay well what does that do for women's sexual power because I think that an open relationship and like mastering the idea of want and like being and not jealousy I guess being healthy and being sort of a way to continue to to desire your partner and sort of like know yourself and what that does in terms of um women's sexual empowerment like I think that there's something that it does like for us that will get more pleasure out of sex because we're not like chained to one person or feeling like our our sexual pleasure is chained to one person and there's still room for growth and like uh individuality which i think is really important um i don't know i'm super rambling but yes and like long story short i'm looking into it for sure i just haven't figured out how it fits into the greater like thesis of the book yet yeah it's really interesting i feel like part of the problem the reason we see it as so threatening is like because of how we define love yeah um which is that it's not it's like having what you want or like having your partner completely like that sense of like ownership that I feel like is actually kind of like antithetical to like eros and pleasure which yeah is just like I feel like it's like with anything you get complacent have you ever heard of the hedonic treadmill no what is this I love <laughs> hedonism so come on <laughs> cool yeah well the hedonic treadmill is basically like it's this idea that like after things happen in your life, whether they're good or bad, you tend to, like, return to, like, a happiness set point, which is, like, um, you know, like, the worst thing can happen, and you, after the initial, like, blow, you will, it actually doesn't, I'm not sure exactly how it relates to hedonism, but, like, after that happens, you will, like, kind of return to how you were before, even though it seems impossible, and the same for, like, after a really good thing happens, like, you win the lottery, like, you'll probably end up being similarly happy as you are now, um, which is, like, I wrote an essay about this, but about the idea that, like, well, if you're always going to kind of return, then, like, what are we really pursuing? Yeah. Because yeah. once you get there, you'll feel the same eventually. So it's, like, it's almost like what we're pursuing is, like, the pursuit. <laughs> <laughs> right, and so if you're, compla- if you're complacent and there's nothing to pursue, then, like, how can you experience pleasure, I guess? Yeah, like, everyone wants to be content, like, they think that that's the ultimate goal, but I don't think that just sounds so, like, unsexy. Yeah, yeah. I talk about this with my therapist all the time, that, like, the minute things are good, I'm like, nope. <laughs> like, let's create some chaos so I can pursue good again, because otherwise I'm, like, bored and antsy. I don't know. You know, she tells me that's unhealthy, but I think <laughs> she's got it wrong. <laughs> well, I feel like it's, like, exactly what we were saying, which is that, like, you can think of it in different ways, and I think there is an unhealthy way, but I think that there's also a healthy way. It's like, obviously, I don't think that... I don't mean to, like, mar a Buddhist proverb, but there, there's something about, like, it's good to want things, but you shouldn't get attached to that want. Right. Like, that's the problem, is that if you suddenly... If you actually hang your hat on this desire and you think you're never gonna be happy until you get it that's like obviously flawed thinking it's like antithetical to what we're saying about like desire being the thing yeah and so it's not attachment that is the problem but like just desire is good i think so yeah good and fun (laughs) and like sexy and 
exciting and um I do wonder how this is all gonna like play out in the next like year you know like what and I feel like we're so fortunate to be able to think about like post-pandemic life in terms of like pursuing pleasure that we've been denied for a year versus like you know all the other options that are like wretched but I do just wonder like are people going to be pursuing pleasure at like a much more aggressive rate or like are they just going to want to go back to like their set point of happiness or like what like how this like the idea of desire and and pursuing pleasure is going to play out once things return to more normal you know freedoms um I have no idea but I am curious if it's going to change that relationship for a lot of people me too I hope that there's I do think that we'll eventually get used to the things that we missed so much, you know? It's like you think that when you have, like, a stuffed-up nose that, like, you're going to be so happy when it's not stuffed up anymore and then it's not and you forget. Right, right. (laughs) Like, that's definitely going to happen. Like, we all think, like, oh, my God, I'm never going to take it for granted again to ride the train. And, like, in six months, I'm going to be like, (sighs) (laughs) I I hate this fucking train. (laughs) I know, but, like, oh, to be mad at the... um, or to be mad at Cuomo, really. I'm not mad at the MTA employees. It's no. not their fault. It's Cuomo's Everything is Cuomo's fault, really. It's but. always Cuomo. <laughs> you can just rely on that always. Yeah. Um, but I do think that there will be a period where it does all feel really important and good before we get used to it again. Yeah. And that's what I'm hoping, I'm hoping this summer is. And if it's not then I don't want to know yet. <laughs> I don't, yeah, don't disappoint me yet. I have such, I have such high expectations. What's that? You quote Drake, I quote Dashboard Confessional. You know, my hope <laughs> is so high that this kiss could kill me. That's like how I feel about this summer. And I'm sorry, that's so emo. <laughs> that is such a good throwback. We should I play, know. I should put a little bit of that song into the I love that. I love, I really have gone back to my, like, I don't know how, about you, but like in the pandemic, my like teenage culture consumption. So I've been like, just all about like that emo music that I listened to when I was 18 and like watching like Party of Five reruns. It's, it's such a weird time to be alive in my household. Oh my God, Party of Five. I've been listening to a lot of high school music too. Like I love Dashboard Confessional. I remember I like like, when I was just trying to be, like, main character vibes, like, in my art class, I used to listen to my... I would listen to this, like... I think it was called Ghosts of a Good Thing. Do you yep, remember that Dashboard yep, song? Yep, of course. <laughs> I was in this phase where, like, I literally just listened to it on repeat in my headphones, like, during art class. And I remember somebody... Like, I didn't realize people could hear, but somebody finally was like, do you listen to any other songs? So like, <laughs> That's so embarrassing. <laughs> it's horrifying. Truly horrifying. Oh, um, man. Dude, our Dashboard Confessional, I haven't listened to that in a while. I should revisit. Yeah, it still hits. It's embarrassing how much it still gets you, you know, but... Yeah. Do you think that there's bad horniness in the same way that we're saying that there's, like, bad anticipation? Like, do you feel like there's a way of, like, getting it... Maybe, like, getting attached to it in a way that it no longer feels invigorating? Like, yeah, incel vibes? <laughs> yes, yeah. Like, I think that there's definitely dark and evil horniness, for sure. Um... <laughs> And then I think there's just sort of like, I mean, there's like good want and then there's that want where you're just like, 
you feel so empty. Sometimes it's like, this is, I like have a pretty good bunch of group chats with women who just like talk about how horny they are all the time. And like, sometimes it's like, it's like so frustrating, you know, it's like, you just like can't get what you want to the point where like, I guess this is like incel vibes, but you know, where it's just like, you just feel frustrated and unhappy and like, like everything's like stacked against you and like, you'll never get sexual pleasure the way you want it and that's not a good feeling you know but no I, I like to think of um i keep walking the optimistic horny path you know where it's just like <laughs> it's so funny because it really is like it's a it's a balance because i think on the other side and this might seem like an annoying anecdote but like as someone who's in a relationship um we had a recent thing where like my boyfriend avi was injured oh no <laughs> i don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm going to keep this in the pod, but um, just for us, gals, he was injured, so we, like, couldn't fuck for a while. Like, it wasn't, like, his dick, but just, like, he was injured for, that, like, in a way that prevented us having sex. And this is probably for, like, a month. Okay. And I noticed that I, like, got to be horny. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, how do you feel? <laughs> I it was great. <laughs> like Avi, like at one point Avi was like, um, I'm sorry, like, is it bumming you out or something? And I was like, no, I'm actually kind of like really enjoying it because like typically as like and I know this isn't like consistent across um like every couple, but for us, like I do think we fall into the stereotype of like he's horny more often than me. Okay. Not like in a in a way that it's a problem at all, but just like he tips a little further. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> and so like for me, typically, like, if I'm horny, like, we're gonna fuck, you know? Right. Like, there's not usually much, like, wanting. Right. He's ready so, for it. <laughs> right. So, like, getting to, like, so wanting it and, like, not getting it was a really fun feeling. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, this is fun. Like, I don't know. Like, I think it's sometimes nice to feel horny. And it's, like, maybe not. It's, like, maybe something on the other side for people in relationships to, like, try to cultivate. Yeah. Just, like, a little bit of, like, like a relationship edging or something, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I agree. I think it's important. Like, I I feel like it's, again, it comes down to, like, the idea of, like, the pleasure of pursuing, you know? And, like, do we want to realize the dream all the time? No. Sometimes we just, like, want to live in, like, the pursuit of the dream and dreaming about what the dream will feel like when we get it, you know? It's fun. Yeah. And I think it, like, spurs you. I, I feel like, you know, some of this is still so, like, loosey-goosey in my head. But I feel like there's something about, like, being horny that, like, spurs you to, like, it's, like, clarity almost. It's, like, there's sometimes when I'm, like, a horny monster and I'm, like, whatever. I Like, cookie monster. Like, what, whatever. Just give it to me. <laughs> but then there's, like, times that I'm, like, well, I want, I've like, been waiting this long. Like, there's, like, clarity of, like, what I want and, like, who I want it with and, like, the exact thing that's gonna like bring me a horny resolution, and that's great, you know. When it sharpens I mean, it's like your animalistic. mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that's a, a really good point. Because I feel like no, not knowing what you want is kind of like a depressing feeling. Yeah. I felt that a lot in my twenties with like my career, which is a boring <laughs> left turn. But like, but yeah, you know. Yeah. Wait, sorry, I interrupted you. What were you going to say? Oh, that I was reading this sort of, like, confusing study um, from a woman in the UK who, like, was trying to figure out the difference between horniness and desire, where, like, my mind, I always thought it was sort of, like, synonymous, you know? But in, in her mind, she was like, 
I think that horniness is sort of like an undefined, like gaping want where like you have no idea like what's going to satisfy it. But then desire, it's like specific and it has like a target and you like like you you want a specific person or thing and i can't decide if i agree with that you know like if horniness oh, and that's desire really interesting yeah i've been like trying to just determine if i agree with that um like that real clear like separation of the two two words you know you know what it makes me think of is that like um what, horniness or like wanting is almost more of a um an internal feeling yeah. like or it's pointed inward whereas desire feels more pointed outward it's like yeah. it's it's less amorphous it's like towards a thing and i do think you're right that like all right one thing i feel like that resonates for me with that study is like it feels better to want something specific which i do think with horniness you can want like yeah. you can like picture like i want to go like to a club and like touch people and like whatever that I think that's specific versus just being like I'm just a ball of like want and like it's just (laughs) it's just like directionless and like in that way I feel like it can sort of tip to like unsatisfaction because they're sort of like they're similar right like if you define your life by what you want then you're not defining it ever by like what you have and that's that can make you feel like awful too I feel like always on the treadmill or whatever you know yeah, like, I feel like a lot of my 20s, um, looking back on them, were, like, um, going back and forth between going for the gold, like, just, like, pursuing anything else was just, like, my driving force, like, just get me out of here, anything else. Yeah. And then I would go back and forth, to, go back to being, like, actually, I like my life, I don't want change, like, I'm grateful, I'm gonna make cookies, and, like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> just, like, I'm gonna be grateful, like, for everything I have, you know? And then... I would just go back and forth and I felt like I was just going insane. Yeah. Um, and I don't think, I think that like maybe the, the answer, which is sort of what you're getting at about like your thirties is that you have to like redefine or reframe your desire to serve you. Yeah. Because obviously like one distinction I feel like we probably both want to make is that like capitalism is all about like breeding desire and it's like, it's bad desire. Yes. <laughs> I feel like you need to have a chapter called Good Desire and Bad Desire. <laughs> I know. Yes. Yes. Although because it's, like, it's like, yeah. No, go ahead. Sorry. You're really good about not interrupting. Oh, You're... well, this is my job, right? Like, I'm always asking people questions and then just, like, sitting back and waiting, so. <laughs> <laughs> You're just a very good and gracious podcast guest. Oh, Thank you. I love, I mean, I love I'm very impressed. <laughs> I just was thinking, because typically, like, when I edit, I'm, like, fixing so many interruptions. And I just don't feel like we've had that as much. So I'm just, thank you. Yeah, sure. Um, now you're, like, really afraid of interrupting. I know. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Should we have, like, devise some hand signals now? <laughs> I like raising your hand when you're done talking. Yeah. Um, well, there's also a delay, so some of it is inevitable. But, um... Anyway, wait, what was I even saying? Um, capitalism. Yeah. Capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> capitalism. Yeah, I feel like maybe the problem is, like, capitalism asks us to, like, define ourselves and our identity by our wants, which is maybe different from, like, defining our experience through, like, desire. Yeah. I'm, like, making this up as I'm talking, so I'm not, like, haven't fully thought it through. 
but I know that like the the capitalism that like the 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 want it breeds is not good. Yeah. It's a, it's like a it's a unquenchable hunger, right? Like capitalism desire. And listen, like I love to I like I love to shop. So like but it's like I I can always find something to buy to the detriment of my bank account. And to me that's like the easiest way of understanding like bad desire, right? Like I'm always gonna like max myself out to try and obtain the thing that makes me feel satisfied and good and content and like I've done it. We like we did it, Joe, but like we can never do it. (laughs) You're right. Well it's like it's interesting because we were just saying that like quenching isn't important, but I feel like in this case, maybe the problem isn't so much that it can't be quenched as much as like capitalism comes in and takes over all of our desires. It becomes, like, the object of our desire no matter what. Right. And, and, like, it doesn't... It actually isn't that joyful to pursue. Like, it maybe... It makes you feel not good enough, which is, like, really different. Right. I know. I'm just, like, thinking about, like, the pursuit has to make you feel good. And if the pursuit makes you feel less than or, like, you'll never really feel good, then there was the bad desire, right? Like... You just want the pursuit to feel as good as the potential getting, you know? I feel like we're really getting to something here. I good know. desire, bad desire. <laughs> pursuit <laughs> as pleasure, you know? Like, it's just, we're on some heady shit. Yeah, I'm, like, ready for you to put this all in the book. I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, like, scribbling a lot of notes while we talk. Don't, don't worry. <laughs> Well, I feel like it's so interesting because if we can crack this code, I feel like you can probably apply it to horniness. Yeah. Because, yeah, because horniness can be... It makes me want to reread Esther Perel's book because it's always, it's all about how, like, the unknowability and almost, like, unhavability is of your partner. Like, you cannot have them. You will never know everything about them. You will never understand their sexual desires completely. Right. Or fulfill them. And that's good. <laughs> like, that's like, exciting. That space and distance is good. So I wonder, like, how do we apply that to life and, like, having a thirst for life without having your life be defined by, like, wanting other things? Yeah. Well, when I think about it in terms of, like, horniness, that's all I think about these days. It's, like, <laughs> I've been trying to wrestle with how I want to address the sort of, like, goopification of, like, sex and self and sexual self-care and how, like, goop can sell you 40 million different products or products and, like, vaginal steaming treatments for the pursuit of you having better sex. And it, it feels like instead of saying, like, sort of, like, what excites me about being a horny person is that, like, I will always be pursuing, like, sexual pleasure in one way or another. It's, like, horniness is, like, a, like, the pursuit of it's, like, a thing to fix. Like, there's a terminus to that sort of journey. And, like, I think that's part of what Esther Perel is saying, that, like, no, there's not, like, a fixed point in which you arrive and then, like, your everything is solved. And, like, you'll always desire your partner at this fixed point. Like, it's all about a journey and, like, the pursuit. And, and the problem with, like, goop, which I guess here is, like, a stand-in for capitalism, is, like, it's a problem to fix. And you'll never fix it, but we'll trick you into being able to fix it. That's right? it. Yes. Right, because when you... Co- co- <laughs> Thank you! <laughs> because when, when you commodify something, it, it, like, ceases to be, like, experiential and organic and becomes, like, like you said, like, a problem. Yeah. And... I think that's what capitalism seeks to do is also is which in general, like sex related or not, it seeks to like commodify pleasure. 
This is why horniness is such an interesting topic because um, it's like the one part of our lives where we understand that like the pleasure or the desire will continue. Yeah. No matter how many times we satisfy it. Yes. Which is something that I feel like people fail to grasp outside of their sexual lives. Like we really do think that like reaching this thing is gonna fix everything. Right. But it won't. It, you, that desire will continue. So it's be- instead of seeing your desire as like your motive to achieve, it should be like a part of your experience and enjoyment of life, which uh, the way it is with sex. Right. Yes. Yeah. You're really writing about life itself, Allison. Well, horniness is life, Haley. <laughs> mm. Dude, but there's a lot to learn from our horniness. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, if we thought more about desire in these terms, I feel like we would maybe understand our desire outside of horniness better. I wonder, like, how how to apply this to... Because it just feels like, I feel like I, I can't even figure out how to, like, apply it to, say, like, career, right? Because there's just, like, so many, like, like, like achievements built in and, like, the need for, like, hitting these goals or, like, hitting a certain pay grade or, like, an accolade or, like, getting the thing that your professional nemesis has or whatever. Um, I don't know. I, like, can't, I can't figure out how to apply it to, say, like, career, for example, you know, like... Yeah. It seems very hard. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I'm reading a book right now. Um, I'm almost done with it, actually, called Do What You Love mm-hmm. by... I'm forgetting her, her name. Um, but it's all about, like, the do what you love, like, basically campaign for work, which is, like, which really has, like, um, sta- like stood to benefit, basically, like, the 1%. It's, like, yeah. everybody feeling... Like, they must love what they do in order to be successful has, like, placed the onus on individuals and, like, and also um, made people think that, like, if they don't love what they do, that's their fault and um, that's why they're not successful. And um, I feel like this is maybe seeming kind of off topic from what you said, but I feel like the way it connects is that the way we've centered work in our lives has made us think that, like, that's where we should get all of our pleasure. Yeah. Um, and really I feel like the better dream would be for work to be less central and for like us like being fed and housed and all that stuff would not rely on our employability and rather that like work would just be like one facet of life and like actually, um, our desire to enjoy ourselves and know ourselves and learn what we're good at might be like outside the bounds of like wage work. Yeah. But, um... Yeah, I mean, that gets into a whole nother topic, but I feel like given the system we're in now, maybe one way to think about it is that, like, you're never going to be in a job where you're finally like, this is it. Yeah, it's so true. Or, like, and that's not really the point. Maybe the point is, like, to, like it is with any experience in life, is to, like, learn about yourself through the process and learn about the world and that, like, the point isn't to reach an end but to get better at being who you are yeah not really getting self-helpy <laughs> no but this is true it's just like this is just i mean i'm sorry to like really indulge our like our deviation into extreme self-help stuff but this is just like what i'm trying to embody right now for the rest of my 30s it's like it's about like learning who you are and like learning how to live a happy life and not so much like 
checking the boxes. And that's so hard, you know? Everyone's in the same, like, staring at each other's dinner plate, wishing they had ordered that thing, you know? It's just hard, but it's a worthy endeavor. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, to get better at being yourself. Yeah. It is a worthy endeavor. Maybe, like, being in touch with your wants is part of that process, like... Because everybody's, like, desire looks different. Yeah. So, really, like, horniness is an existential pursuit in learning yourself. This book is, like, it's got more levels than I ever imagined. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, did I smoke a joint before we started talking? (laughs) Oh, my God, no, you were just, like, you were the perfect guest for this topic. I'm so happy that we talked about all this. Oh, good. I'm, yeah, I am, too. This is, like... Like I said, I'm, like, taking notes, and I'm going to go, like, mind splooge, and I can't wait to listen again to get all these, like, great things we brought up. Do you want to Do you want to co-write this book? Jesus Christ. I'm in. Bring me in. No, but if you ever want to talk more, like, please, I'm happy yeah. to. Yeah. Maybe we can, like, go get a drink, you know? When, like... Yeah. Okay, I found that halfway into this that we should do that, and I was like, that's weird to just, like, throw it out there so early, but this is a good vibe. I would love to, like, grab a glass of wine. Me too. We gotta do it. Once I, if I ever get vaccinated, you know. Yeah. Set yourself free. (laughs) I'm ready for a horny summer of 2021. Oh my god, I know. That's why I'm so glad I got a book extension, because imagine if I turned the book in before this horny, it's just, no, we need it. (laughs) No, if anything, the deadline should be a little later so that you basically the book can be about this summer. Yeah, that's really my goal. <laughs> it's all there it's for like, me. This sum- like, I wrote this book after the summer after the pandemic. Right. When everybody was the horniest they'd ever been they'd in their whole ever lives. Ever been. Like, when horniness was, like, real, not just an internet joke. Like, it's yeah. Like, you know, I, this is, it's so, it's, it was the worst timing that you had to write the book during the pandemic, but it's going to turn into, I think, the best timing. Yeah, I hope so. Fingers crossed. Yeah. But thank you. <laughs> okay, that's it. Thank you so much to Allison. Thank you to Soft Streak for my intro song. Thank you to you for listening and also for bearing with my consistently kind of frustrating tech difficulties. I feel like doing a doing a call-in podcast is is not my favorite sounding podcast. There's always like something unexpected that makes it kind of sound like not perfect. So thank you for just, I mean, I don't know if you're feeling patient about it, but I'm just going to assume you are. I'm assuming the best, best intentions. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I hope that you have a nice week and I will see you on Sunday for the next round of Dear Baby. Okay. Bye. Maybe, maybe I'd like-